Uh, welcome, everyone, to SAC 319, Architecting Security and Governance Across a Multi-Account uh, multi Strategy. Um, so if we think back uh, several years ago, many organizations were just getting started in AWS. And what we saw is that these organiza organizations would typically deploy everything into a single AWS account. Uh, this made a lot of sense back then, right? There were few AWS services, uh, a lot fewer than there are today. And it was everyone's kind of first foray into the public AWS cloud. So um, today, if we fast forward to today, uh, this is no longer the case, right? We have most large-scale deployments in AWS use at least um, several accounts, if not dozens or hundreds or even thousands of AWS accounts. And this um, change has sparked an intense debate amongst IT professionals, whether they're architects, network engineers, security professionals, developers. And the debate is how many accounts is right for my organization and what responsibility should each of those accounts have. So I'm guessing many of you are here today because you're either already having these discussions internally on how many accounts you should be using or you anticipate you're gonna be having those in the near future. So one goal of this session is for us to arm you with a solid understanding of the key areas you need to focus on when you're deciding which accounts to use and how many to use. We'd also like to give you a blueprint, an architecture that you can take away um, and get started with today to use for your account structuring in AWS. And this is a blueprint that is scalable and it's gonna work for you in the future without requiring any sort of re-architecture, re-platforming. So my name is Michael Capicotto. I'm a solutions architect with AWS, and I'm joined today by Sam Elmalak, uh, who's also a solutions architect at AWS, and Adam Foken, a principal architect from Thomson Reuters. So our customers typically start their journey into the cloud um, with the questions, how many accounts should we use, and what should each of these accounts do? So Sam and I, first, we're gonna start off by sharing uh, the path that these dis discussions typically follow with large enterprises and, and many other organizations, because uh, we want to save you the effort from doing this blindly. Right? There's key areas that you want to focus on when you're discussing multiple accounts in AWS, and we're going to highlight those for you. Uh, we're also going to suggest an architectural pattern that works particularly well when you're using a multi-account structure, and our goal is that you can take this away and get started with it today. Um, and we're guessing that after about 30 minutes of hearing from AWS, given how much you've heard from us lately, uh, you're gonna be about tired of that. So we're gonna invite Adam on stage. Uh, he's gone through this process recently at Thomson Reuters, and he can share many valuable insights that he's uncovered along the way, uh, directly from you know, customer experience. Uh, before you leave today, we want you to take two key things away. One is the reference architecture that we're gonna show you for this multi-account model, and the second is an action plan with essentially a checklist of steps you can follow to get started today. That way you know you're covering your bases. So first, and this might be very basic for some folks in the room, but I wanna cover what an AWS account is because there's so many different platforms out there today and they all have their own unique nomenclature. And I actually hear this get mixed up very, very often. So when we say an AWS account, uh, what we mean is uh, the highest level of isolation you can expect between your resources, your users, and your bills. So to give you a really simple example, if I go up to my hotel room tonight and I sign up for an AWS account with my credit card and you go up to your hotel room tomorrow night 
and sign up for an AWS account with your credit card, the level of isolation we can expect between our two accounts is the same level of isolation an organization can expect when they create two or three or a hundred or a thousand accounts. So whether we're talking about a user logging into the AWS console to perform administrative tasks, or we're talking about an EC2 instance that's querying a relational database, or maybe we're talking about a bill getting generated at the end of the month, uh, the point is those are all contained within a single AWS account, and there's no um, way for them to flow between accounts. And different organizations have different approaches to account structures. So we see still many organizations today using a single AWS account for everything. Um, these are typically organizations that have one application with one development team and all of their effort behind that. And this uh, single account model can be useful from an overhead perspective uh, because you just have one account to manage. You have one set of users, one bill, one set of security policies. So it's quite easy to manage. However, uh, as you start adding multiple applications and multiple development teams and multiple projects into a single account, the overhead gets more and more and more complex. And we have customers on the other end of the spectrum, customers that actually have thousands of AWS accounts. And these are typically customers who have uh, many, many products that they own, and they operate independently from one another. So they might have unique uh, different IT teams, different development cycles, uh, completely different applications, and they're segregated from one another. And using thousands of accounts, of course, uh, causes you to have a lot of management overhead from an account management perspective. Uh, however, the security isolation that you get between your resources and your users is, is awesome. And uh, your billing separation is also a very clean picture, right? Account A gets bill A, Account B gets bill B, and there's no concept of, you know, who, who incurred this charge. Uh, we're guessing that most of the folks here in the room tonight are going to fall somewhere in between this. So you're probably not going to have thousands of accounts, but you're probably not just going to have one account, or else you, you wouldn't be here in the session, I'm guessing. And before we talk about why using multiple accounts is, is good, uh, we want to talk about why using one account often isn't enough, and hopefully these, these ring home with you. The first is you may have several development teams. Um, containing all of these teams within a single account is possible, but if you want to, say, prevent Team A from affecting resources of Team B and vice versa, uh, you require pretty complex IAM policy and a pretty robust tagging structure to do this. And if you make a, a mistake in the IAM policy or the tagging structure, um, all of your efforts go out the window, and you can have pretty catastrophic results, right? Um, think about a, an administrator from Team A going and deleting a production application from Team B. It's something you don't want to happen. You also have uh, resource isolation. So you might want to not just isolate users, but you also want to ensure that your applications um, maybe can or cannot talk to each other. Imagine you have a database with really sensitive information in it for a specific application. You don't want all your other apps to be able to just go and query that database. So now within a single account, you have to think about locking down your network ACLs, your security groups, preventing VPC peering connections, essentially a very sophisticated network policy to make sure that those resources can never talk to each other. And we talked 
about security controls already uh, for both of those other items, but you might also have different business units with different independent processes from one another. Maybe they use different development and deployment pipelines. Uh, maybe they use different identity providers. Containing these within a single account scales the complexity a lot. And finally, billing. Um, this one's really interesting because uh, in my experience with, with a lot of enterprise customers, billing is often the driving force behind moving to a multi-account model because these organizations quickly realize that within a single account, unless they have a very, very robust tagging policy and they ensure that this is being followed 100% of the time, it becomes a nightmare to uh, backtrack and say, which of these 100 development teams caused this charge and how can I build that back to them? Uh, so moving to a multi-account model obviously solves a lot of that. And here are some of the kind of pros and cons of using multiple accounts. So first, uh, you have complete security and resource isolation between accounts. And you can, of course, open up paths, right? You can peer a VPC in one account with a VPC in another account. But from a security perspective, it's much easier to start with no access and open things up as opposed to starting with complete access and hoping that you lock down every possible path. It's also a much smaller blast radius, so it's going to be a lot easier to explain to your CTO uh, that one production application went down because of a mistake instead of all of your production applications. It's still not a good story, but it's better. Uh, and simplified billing. I've, I've mentioned this a few times already, but account A gets bill A, account B gets bill B. Um, so if you segregate out those accounts based on either project or business unit uh, or maybe application, you're going to have a bill for each of those, and it's clear who spent what. Now, some of the negatives of using multiple accounts are the fact that there's quite a bit of management overhead to set up these accounts and also to ensure that they're being held to the right security bar, the right network bar, et cetera, et cetera. However, uh, we're going to give you some good strategies today on how you can automate this. And uh, we really feel that automation is the answer to a lot of the overhead and complexity that arises from using multiple accounts. You're also going to have slightly more complex security policies uh, because as you create all these accounts, you're going to want to ensure that um, your InfoSec team has insight into them and can enforce policy in them. But again, this can be automated. So imagine you've gone back internally and you've convinced your organization to use multiple accounts. Uh, your next steps are going to be to create goals, right, so that you have a clear direction forward. And the first we already mentioned is automated setup of accounts. You also want to make sure that the account structure you're using is scalable so that as you grow, uh, that can grow with you and you don't have to re-architect things. And you're going to want to ensure that uh, it's a self-service model where you enable your teams to go and deploy their own infrastructure without manual processes in place to limit their agility. Um, of course, you're going to want to keep the guardrails on them at the same time to make sure they don't go crazy from a security perspective or from a you know, cost perspective. You want to ensure that those ac accounts are auditable. That way you have insight into them and you can achieve any compliance programs that you're a part of. And also flexible. The reason we mention flexible here is because uh, we've seen the flip side, the mistake where organizations follow a very, very rigid uh, account structure approach. And the honest truth is that uh, the model we're proposing and any model that you'll come up with, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, right? There's going to be unique edge cases where the structure 
uh, doesn't fit everything you're trying to do, and it's okay to stray outside of that once in a while as long as you follow those guidelines. So first, what accounts should you create? We mentioned a billing account. You want to have one master billing account that all the bills roll up into. This simplifies things from an accounting perspective. You can pay in one place and see what people cost you in one place. And then a security account. This is going to give you both auditability into all your other accounts, and it's also going to allow you to enforce policy in those accounts, do things like network scanning and et cetera. And then the third, um, third main account that you'll want to create is a shared services account. This is going to host things such as your identity provider, um, possibly your development and deployment pipelines, any other tools that are going to be shared across all of your AWS accounts. And each of these you're just going to create once for your whole organization. And the rest that you see along the bottom, whether it's a sandbox account for someone to play around with, a non-prod account, or a full production account, um, these are going to be created either by business unit, by application, by development team. Um, that's really up to you to decide. And I want to quickly outline just baseline security requirements for each of these accounts. You should make sure that you're holding at least this minimum bar. First, when you create an AWS account, you're going to have root credentials. These are the keys to the kingdom. They can do everything. They can delete the account if they so choose. So the first step is to protect these, lock them away in a virtual vault or a physical vault somewhere, and don't use them unless you absolutely need to. Um, then you want to turn on CloudTrail in all AWS regions so that API activity is being logged. You want to take a look at your enterprise roles that you have on-premise today. Right? whether it's an IT administrator, a network engineer, a developer, what uh, permissions do they have and how can I map this into AWS? And the way you do that is via federation. So I'm guessing many of you use some sort of identity provider today, whether it's Active Directory or an LDAP solution or something custom to you. You can actually map this into our identity and access management platform so you don't have to spend the effort of recreating all of your enterprise users and groups and roles. You want to ensure that each of these accounts you create has a role in it to allow InfoSec the ability to audit and enforce policy in it. And finally, you might want to implement some sort of custom actions or conditions. Maybe for elevated API calls, you want to require multi-factor authentication. So these are the things that we feel you should do from day one. I'm going to turn things over to Sam now, who's going to talk to you about our architecture. Hopefully by now you've been convinced that a multi-account strategy is something that you want to do. We talked about the accounts. Now let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's understand what these accounts will do. The first account is the billing account. I would think of that as an administrative account for the most part. It is there to allow you to be able to get a holistic view of your entire set of organization. So what spending am I doing? What does my entire organization do and put it together? Now today, by the way, one of the services we announced with AWS organizations that allows you to manage accounts and be able to link them and create groups, so that billing account will play a little bit more of a role when you start using that. You can enforce policies at different accounts and groupings. It's not connected to your data center because it doesn't really have resources or things in it. All your bills, your invoices, anything goes to it. It gives you a centralized view of your entire organization and your spending structure. Your volume discounts will flow through there. If you're buying reserved instances, you potentially can have them go through the billing account. And you have basically no resources. Minimal, for example, you decide you want to have invoices that get generated, distributed to your business units. 
chargebacks, any of those things, you may choose to run them in the billing account. You could choose to run them in shared services, but some customers may choose to do this. So I would try and say have as few resources as you can in that account, but use it to give you that consolidated view and ultimately when you leverage AWS organizations, be able to create the groups and the different roles for those different accounts. Security account. If there's one account that I think you should create, it is the security account. This is going to be one of the most critical accounts that you'll work with. And if it lets me forward, I'll be able to tell you about it. So one of the first things that you have to do, or we recommend that you do, is you link all of your accounts to your billing account. So you can't see it up there, but there's a green arrow that goes from your security account up to your billing account. Your bills, everything will go up there. So you'll have the visibility into it. From there, you will enable CloudTrail. CloudTrail is a log of the API calls that you make within your account. Enable it across every single region, and I cannot emphasize this enough. You can go and enable it for one region, but if somebody does manage to break into one of your accounts or compromise something, they could go launch resources in a region that you're not normally using. So whether you're using that region or not as part of your corporate strategy, enable it across every single region. And have those logs go to the security team's account. You might have optional connectivity to the data center. Maybe you have some security tools that you want to connect back and forth. For some customers, it's not necessary. They use the security account to manage the security. They don't need it to be connected to the data center through a direct connect. Your cloud trail, your logs, create a bucket within that account where every single account that we ever talk about will send their cloud trail logs in there and any other security logs. Enable MFA on that account. MFA, sorry, MFA delete on the bucket and enable versioning. So again, in worst case scenario, somebody that goes into that bucket, even if they delete the files, you have the versions. You have MFA delete, they have to have an MFA token to delete the objects from there. Cross account roles. Michael mentioned that a little bit, but one of the things you want to create is you want to have your security account be able to go into your other accounts and scan resources. Do I have any security groups that are open to the world on port 22 or 3389 for Windows Remote Desktop? You want to be able to do this. Create two roles, a read role and a write one. The read one is what you use for the scanning. That's the one that will go through automated tools that will do that. Create the write one in case there is an issue and you do need to go in and fix it. You don't have availability for somebody that goes in and logs into that specific account and kills the resources. At least you have that. Of course, much more limited access to that, but allow yourself the ability, or at least the option, to be able to kill a rogue resource or a compromised resource. Maybe isolate it from a network perspective so you can do forensics on it later. And finally, encryption keys. You could create your encryption keys within your security account, provide cross-account access, and that, again, allows you to be able to shut down a key if there's a compromise. Or even if somebody does manage to break into one of the other accounts, get the data out, they don't have access to the security team's account to get the keys. You may choose to do this maybe for highly critical data, highly sensitive data, but not for everything. But it's something to consider when you're building the encryption keys within there. From there, we want to think about the shared services account. 
So for many of you, you might have Active Directory on-premise, you might have LDAP solutions, you might have DNS. I hope you have DNS. How do you run these sources? Shared service is a great place to do this. You can create a VPC, you can launch those things in there and have connectivity between that account and the other accounts within your organization. So you have a centralized DNS place. And I promise you that if you go to your business unit teams and tell them, I am providing you a service here, it is DNS, it is Active Directory, it is all these boring things, no offense to some of you, that you don't want to work on, and they're services. You can choose to use them, but if you don't, good luck managing your DNS, AD, everything else that you need to do. You'll start getting that message across, here's a service for you, and people will start looking into this model and potentially using it. By the way, one thing across the board that Michael mentioned, all of these accounts should be federated into. So employee lifecycle, somebody comes in, somebody leaves. Through their roles, they have access into the environment. So again, we link it to the billing. Our CloudTrail logs and everything goes into the security account. You have network connectivity because in addition to having those logs across, you might have security scanning tools. Maybe sometimes you want to see what open ports there are on the network level itself. So you create a VPC peering connection between the shared services VPC and your security accounts VPC. You connect it to your data center, your Active Directory, your DNS, your shared services, maybe your golden AMIs. You'll create an AMI, an Amazon machine image. Harden it, put your security tools, your logging tools. And from there, you share it with every other account. They launch their resources from those hardened AMIs. And you can have policies that enforce that, whether it's before the fact or after the fact through logs and through generating reports and API calls. And you can do that from the security team's account potentially as a scan because it might violate some security rules. For shared services, you want to have some scanning infrastructure. Now, in this case, it may not be the, not the security ones, but things like inactive instances. Am I paying for resources I shouldn't be? I'm maintaining my snapshots. By the way, we released a, a solution recently that helps you manage snapshots where you can configure schedules and deletion and things around that. Improper tags. Does every resource I have properly tagged? One of the things you want to keep in mind is you want to tag your resources and have a pretty good tagging strategy. From a billing perspective, what's my cost center? From a security, what's my data criticality? And you can start thinking across that strategy. And finally, some monitoring tools. And the second, finally, is Direct Connect. So if you've got a connection and you want to have an online... A, a private connection from your data center to AWS. Because we know any company of any size, in fact, any company that's starting to look at a multi-account strategy has got resources on-premise today. You can't just flip a switch and everything goes from one to the other. It will take a process, even if you choose you want to go all in on AWS. So you can provision your direct connection to the shared services accounts and generate virtual interfaces to the other accounts. And that helps you maintain the network integrity and helps you maintain that connectivity. Now, everything we've talked about so far are the accounts you create once. And you maintain them, you have strict rules and controls around them. From here, these are the accounts you start scaling out. The first account we create is the sandbox account. Again, federation into it, create the cross-account role into the security account, link it to your billing account, Send your CloudTrail logs and all of those relevant security logs to your, your security account. That one is not connected to your data center. This is the account you play with. 
You still federate into it because you want people to have access when and if they need access and whether they're in the company or not or whether they've changed roles. But it's not connected to your data center. These are new initiatives. These are experiments. This is a place where people can go and innovate. Maybe the latest open source package that somebody downloaded that didn't check anything and they're launching and trying to play with it. Or maybe it's just some new quick project you want to experiment with. So it allows you a place to do this. And because it doesn't have as many requirements, it's probably an easier account to get created. So you can create this up, give people access, let them play with it, and buy yourself time while you go figure out all the other things you have to build out. The next account is our non-prod. Some customers like to set the goal of this account being production-like, only CI/CD. you can't actually log into it. But this is an account, you want to make it as close to production as possible. Once again, link it to your billing account, have your cross-account role for the security, federation into it, send your cloud trail logs into the account, send your security logs. This one is connected to your shared services. It's a peering connection because it does need Active Directory. It does need other things that it might need for the servers within that environment. And it is connected to your data center. Maybe not to your production environment, but it's connected to your data center. There might be databases or other resources you're using. And again, it's production-like. This might be your staging environment, your QA environment, a continuous integration pipeline deployment. Those tools might be sitting in your shared services account, but they deploy into your non-production environment. From there, you've built your code. You have it ready. You've tested it. I want to put it in production. The next account is your production account. Again, link the billing. Cloud trail logs, all of this stuff goes to security. I hope by now you've memorized that and heard it enough. And it's connected to your shared services, your Active Directory, your DNS. All of those services are available. So as you deploy those applications, your DNS can transparently look things up, whether it's on-premise or in the AWS environment, and you have that built out. And again, you link it to your data center, either Direct Connect or VPN. And this time, you're connecting it to a production network. It is a production environment. Potentially even more limited access than non your non-prod. In some cases, it might have almost no human access. It's only through CI-CD pipelines. It's only through those types of things. So it hosts your production applications. You promote things from non-prod. I hope that for most of you, you will test it in non-prod first, then you promote it. I would avoid trying to deploy things directly to production. You can, but don't do it. And it's also very limited access. We mentioned be flexible. There are some special accounts that you might want to create. There might be a use case that you didn't anticipate. Maybe you need to build a PCI solution or a PII type environment. It might be easier to prove to your auditors that everything is isolated by having the whole environment in one account, and here's what I can prove. It might make your attestation of compliance statement easier to build it out in environment. You might have a complex product or a platform with hundreds of different applications and maybe I don't want that to be shared with everyone else. So while it might belong under a business unit, it might be worth having it be its own environment. So as you build this out, keep in mind that you want to have that flexibility and that open mind that says, let's start with this approach. Let's see where that gets us. And as we move through and see if there's special exceptions or use cases, be open. And given that everything we've done so far is intended to be automated and fully reusable, Creating those additional accounts should not be a burden. I'll turn it over to Adam now to talk about 
Thomson Reuters and the approach that they used. Good luck with the clicker. All right. Um, thanks, Sam and Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you a kind of a real-world example. My name's Adam Foken, um, and I work at Thomson Reuters. And a little background on Thomson Reuters, it's a global company that provides um, information and products for professionals, tax, legal, and financial professionals. And uh, we, we started our journey uh, about a, a year ago. So uh, a little story, funny, maybe embarrassing, but last year I was able to attend reInvent, and I attended a lot of sexy talks, but after each one, and when I was networking, I would meet with people, um, and I'd ask them, you know, how many accounts do you have, or what do you, you know, who creates those within your organization, and, and how, do you, how do you secure them? And I had all these questions, and I think people kind of labeled me as kind of the crazy guy that asked too much, too many questions about their accounts, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm in a better place now, um, and I will, uh, and I'll go through exactly how we went through, and, and Sam and Mike laid out a great strategy for that, and ours looks very similar to that. And so about a year ago, um, it's the left side. Yep. about a year ago, uh, a bunch of technology leaders across our company came together in what we called a, a cloud summit. And there we, uh, like many of you, made a commitment to leverage Amazon Web Services for uh, deploying and building our new applications. And, um, and so out of that, we worked with our account team, and the first thing we wanted to do was understand our current estate and figure out where we were with cloud. And it, it, I, I really recommend working with your account team. And what we found, um, and they, were to, they have some tools and some uh, ways of investigating this that isn't available to everybody, but we found out we had 400 accounts. <laughs> we were really surprised. It's like, wow, we already have 400 accounts. Um, and that really leads right away into some more questions like, well, how much are we spending? Um, you know, and, and what are they spending it on? What services are they actually spending uh, this money on? And uh, what are they using? How are they signing up? Uh, we found out that most people are, are using, uh, we found out that they're using the domain, um, and then they're using their credit cards to do that. And so that, we found that out as well. We also wanted to know, you know, what security posture did they have? Were they, were they actually adhering to our security controls that we had as an enterprise? Were they actually taking the right approaches? We just didn't know. Um, and then we hadn't negotiated any enterprise support, and so the products that were out there, they maybe didn't have kind of the enterprise view of those, of those accounts and, and actually have support in case things went wrong. We did have pockets of excellence. I mean, we started this journey because mo some of our teams were starting to build products, uh, start leveraging the cloud, and so we knew it was important, and we wanted to leverage their expertise in the way that we did things. And really, as we built that out, leverage them to see if what we were building from a central organization was relevant for these teams. Um, and so we, we used those pockets of excellence. And so now that we had the inventory um, and, and, we, and we knew we were going to uh, make this commitment to the cloud, we wanted to make sure that because I was in a central services organization, we wanted to make sure the approach we took um, made sure that we were doing things in a cloudy way. And so we wanted to, we were going to the cloud for purposes of transformation and, and, and trying to change our organization and culture. And so we didn't want to uh, re regress, right? We wanted to make sure we had an approach that we kind of benchmarked ourselves when we created new services or when we deployed accounts, uh, where, were we follow, where were we following these kind of pillars? And one of the first ones is self-service. We wanted to have our products and our developers to be able to consume the cloud as it, as it stands, right? We didn't want to put controls or we didn't want to put stop signs there. We wanted to make sure that it was self-service. Along with that, 
we really wanted to make sure that we were automating everything. Um, and we weren't doing it, we weren't automating for speed and agility. What we were really automating for was consistency and repeatability. We wanted to make sure if we were setting up an account, we were doing all the same things within the account, and we didn't have CloudTrail in one account, not in another, or a different security posture in another. We used autom automation as a way to verify what we were building actually fit what we were trying to do. With that, to automate, we had to be development-focused, and so we wanted to take modern uh, development practices like Agile and apply that to the way that we built out these accounts and built out the automation. We wanted to focus on enabling. We didn't want to set controls right away. We didn't know where we were, right? And so we wanted to be flexible. We wanted to make sure that we were enabling and making sure that people were progressing and not putting in barriers right away. And so we think of it as um, guardrails, or a good analogy that someone came up with was paved roads. And so we provide value by kind of laying out an ideal path for products to onboard and use our services. And so we, we feel like if, if there's a paved road, road and there's value to there, they're going to take that road more often and utilize those things. And if, if they're not and they have some special case, they may go their own, uh, but then they know that they're going to have more work for them. And then from a security perspective, uh, we wanted to make sure that we put trust in the developers and products' hands, uh, but we also wanted to verify. We wanted to know our security posture. We wanted to have the framework in place so that we could do audits and do those things. And so as we went through this journey, we, want, we benchmarked ourselves and kind of always went back to this approach and are we following these kind of ideals? Uh, so there's a lot of things a central services team could do. And so what we did is we did a little bit of discovery, and we found that these are kind of the pillars that we wanted to adhere to. And I'm going to go through each of these kind of, in, in, and you'll, you'll kind of figure out the order as well. But I'll go through each of these, and these is where we felt that we could provide value from the start. These are the areas that we wanted to focus our attention on right away. And so the first thing is account management, and this is the account strategy that we wanted to do. Um, and what we did is... We didn't know all the complexities of creating an account. We were, we were new to it. But we knew that with every account, there was going to be different accesses of complexity around network and access management that were going to grow for each of those accounts. And so we tried to extrapolate as more and more of our users, more and more of our developers made it into the cloud. What did that mean for our account strategy? Even if we automated things, would there be just a tremendous amount of work to, to make have an inventory of all those things? And so we kind of kept that in mind as we developed the strategy and then benchmarked ourselves about what that complexity. And ultimately, we wanted to have some uh, you know, cap on that complexity. How many accounts do we think we're going to be? Is it going to be thousands or hundreds? We wanted to know that up front. And so that's how we approached how many accounts we were going to create. One of the first things we did, and it's kind of an easy, low-hanging fruit, is we took those 400 accounts, and again, working with our account team, we linked them up to a central billing account using the best practices. What that immediately did is it gave us one bill to pay, and we could start setting a budget for those bills and kind of track our usage from a billing perspective. It also um, allowed us to start negotiating uh, an enterprise contract because we had a kind of a consolidated bill and spend. We were able to uh, negotiate volume discounts. 
Um, and, and then we were able to provide um, analytics over all of that, so tools that could ex- inspect that bill um, and give us kind of trending and what services were being used, and so we could do those types of things. And then what we did is we centralized the creation of those accounts. We didn't want to create even more accounts, or we didn't want to let people, and so we kind of put an end to creating accounts on your credit card, and we centralized that function. And so that's what really the billing account gave us. The next account we created was a security account, um, and that we knew that security was going to be of the utmost important, utmost important to us. And so we wanted to start by creating that account. We make sure logs go to that account. Uh, we make sure that that's a place for our security operations team to be able to investigate, possibly do incident management. Um, and then we had integrity in that account, and we tried to make sure that those those logs were were. In, had integrity, and then there was a small group of people that could actually see that. And so that was our security account. The final of our enterprise accounts was the shared services. We knew that the products and the the kind of the pace that we were going to go to Amazon was going to require hybrid nature applications. And so we knew we were going to have to integrate with some of our network services. We knew we were going to have some services that were going to be used by multiple accounts, um, like as a platform, as a service. Um, and so we created the shared services account for those those services. And in addition, our central operations, our central uh, enterprise cloud operations team needed a place to be able to do and conduct their audits and, and kind of clean up methods. We needed a place for that. And that's what the shared services account gave us. Additionally, um, our direct connect is configured to that account. And then, uh, and then uh, we also peer all of the additional accounts to that that uh, VPC in that account. So those three accounts really represent our enterprise accounts. Like uh, like Mike said, we have one per our, our organization. We don't have many of these, just one. Now, uh, Thompson Reuters has different lines of businesses, and they're, they're fairly autonomous. And we, we have a transformation to kind of make that a homogeneous uh, development organization, but that's going to take time. And so there, there's different development teams and different operation teams, and there's, there's a lot of sub-products in those. Uh, but again, we wanted to look at the complexity. And so what we came up with as a start, and we're, we're open and flexible to change this, but basically for each line of business, we create three accounts. And the, one of the first accounts we created for those was a sandbox account. We knew that a majority of those 400 accounts were people just trying out Amazon, trying to discover those services. And so we needed a place for those 400 accounts to kind of uh, map into right away so that they could still investigate and understand what Amazon was going to do for their products and for their architectures. So we didn't want to take it away. We wanted to have a place for them to innovate. And so the sandbox is really time and financially box POCs. Um, and then it doesn't have the same security controls, and it do, it's not connected to our network. And so it's really a place for people to try things out. Once a product has a business case and has kind of a trajectory to building a product that will go to production, uh, then we give them access to our non-product account. And there we start implementing some of our service management, some of our security controls. Uh, we make sure that it's connected network-wise to our, our data center and to our lower environments. Um, and then we start looking at security controls and what roles people are going to have and so that they can start building that out. A lot of the CICD pipelines and non-prod environments are in that account. And then production. Uh, we obviously want to take a more stringent approach to production, um, more and limited security. Um, and then we have higher levels of service management. And so the alerts that maybe are generated have actions, have time-bounded. We make sure that we're doing change and in incident management. And so in that account, you know, we just step it up again.
And so those three three accounts is what we create per business unit. So if you're going to see all of our accounts, um, we have those legacy 400. Uh, we, we want to reduce that estate. Now we think we have an account structure that can map most of our usage into. Um, and we have our enterprise accounts at the top. And then for each business, we have three accounts. And that's how we look at our account strategy. Um, and that's really helped us look at the complexity that we have to build as a team. If we didn't have a reason for creating an account or why people should create an account, um, they would just come to us and ask for an account. And so we wanted to use this as, hey, how do you fit into this? You know, what does this look like? And generally we can convince or, 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 or tell a story of why they should be in this account structure. And we're, again, we're open. Uh, we're certainly going to evolve, but this is where we're going to start. And I think it's good to have. So what do we do when we create an account? I'm just going to walk through this quickly because the other pillars cover this as well. But we're taking an automated approach. And so we use Python and a, uh, a, a framework for, for a workflow framework for doing that. But we rely heavily on CloudFormation and cloud, and, and CloudTrail, obviously, for the logs. But we use that to stand up every account and so that we're doing it consistently, repeatedly. And uh, depending on what type of account, we configure it a certain way. And so the first thing we do when we create an account, and these two things right now are manual, uh, but with the latest organization's announcement you heard yesterday um, and, uh, and we I went to a session today, these two things can now be automated. The account creation and the vaulting of root credentials in the central billing, that can all be automated now. So that, that's good. Right now that's a manual step for us. Um, so once those two things are done for us, then we actually create uh, within our service management tool a record of that account. It's kind of a metadata about what that account is used for um, and, and how it's actually you know, configured um, and so that we have a framework for actually registering change and incidents against. We federate with our corporate identity um, and we create an initial set of roles. And I'll go more into this in the access management pillar. Uh, but this is, this is kind of the inflation of the account. These are the things that we do as part of that automation. We create a VPC with non-overlapping IP space. Uh, we set up the network um, uh, and subnets and routes, IGWs and VGWs. We create all of those things. Um, we peer with our shared services, um, and then we set up with Direct Connect. And then from a security perspective, we ship the logs, the CloudTrail logs, and we set up those security roles for our security teams. And so this is our bootstrapping of every account. There's little nuances depending on what account it is, uh, but basically every account gets this applied to it. So access management. I talked about root credentials. We have a credential, uh, a credential vault that we use in, as an enterprise. We leverage that. Uh, we, we have other parts of our business that have credentials that are of high value, so we put it in there. Uh, that vault has MFA, and it actually has a two-man rule where you need to have approval from another person to actually do that. What we found, though, is we've, we've, we've rarely, we haven't had a need to actually use those root credentials, and they're rotated if we did need it. Um, so we, we've kind of locked those away. Nobody really has access, and we haven't needed access yet. Um, and then, oops. And then what we do is we federate. So we had an existing identity provider on premise, an AD uh, provider, and what we do is federate that with every account. Um, that provider already had auditing, it had security, um, and so we wanted to leverage that. And it, and it was already centrally managed, and so we had joiners and leavers, and so if somebody leaves the company, their, 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 their access is removed, um, and so we leveraged that um, as a federation. 
I want to mention access management was one of those um, complexity, those axes of complexity that we knew if there was a thousand accounts, federating with a thousand accounts meant, you know, many thousands of groups that you had to manage and life cycle. And so that was one of those constraints that we looked at. And we knew that a thousand accounts would be very difficult to manage, even with automation and making sure that all that, those are okay. Um, and so that was something, that was one of those spectrums that kind of limited us and tried to, to, to make it a known complexity for us off the bat. Another, uh, another part that kind of limited the number of accounts we had was network integration. If we had thousands of accounts, we'd have to create thousands of networks, manage those networks, and if they need connectivity back, managing that could be uh, very complex. And so network, because we were going to have integration, was going to be another complex thing that we needed to limit the number of accounts to. So what we do is uh, we actually pre-provision uh, network resources that had long lead time. So things like Direct Connect that connected with our data center. We wanted to pre-provision that so that when the next business came on, they didn't have to wait that lead time. They could get going right away, testing out how they're going to be hybrid in nature. We had to come up with an IP space management story. Uh, we wanted to make sure that those network addresses weren't overlapping. And so we had to come up with a way of, of how we're going to identify those. And then when we create an account and a VPC, you know, how much IP space are we allocating to the public subnets and the private subnets and how many we're going to have over AZs? We put, we took that into account and actually labeled those, uh, subnets appropriately within our, uh, network. Similarly, a, con a connectivity strategy. We wanted to make sure that our users knew which data center was connected to which region or which data centers were connected to which region so that they could make good decisions on how they deployed their applications and how they would do DR. Um, and this was, this was really important. We're still working on this now. And then network services. We knew they were going to be hybrid, and so things like DNS, we wanted to get right. And so we wanted to be able to tell a story to our users on what things could be resolved, what services they could use to create DNS records, and then how those would actually integrate with the way that they were building things on, 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 uh, on in the cloud. And so we, we looked at each of those, and we want to make sure that we're providing those so that we're not, again, creating another process. We want to make sure that we're enabling things like Route 53 to our businesses building in cloud but still be able to integrate back. And so that's a very big challenge for us was getting some of those network services right in the cloud. And then we established some baseline network controls. So within our data centers, we categorize our networks uh, with security profiles. And then we, we wanted to set some baselines on in the cloud which networks could talk to which um, security zones um, and make sure that that's communicated and well-established for, for, for our users. And so... This is what we do from a network strategy perspective. And we felt like there's value here so that every group and every product doesn't have to figure this out for themselves. Security. Security was an overarching region why we have kind of a centralized IT organization. We want to make sure that people are applying their security policies and their controls appropriately. Uh, we wanted to make sure that they were using common controls. We had some benchmarks and some dashboards to give them and see so that they can see how they're comparing to their peers, but also industry benchmarks. Uh, we wanted to have them, uh, give them the ability to do things like remediation and quarantine if, if an incident should arise. And we wanted to have procedures for our, our security operations team so that they could, they could do something in case there was an incident. And so we wanted to make sure that that was set up front. 
Service management. So we, we have a centralized service management team today. And when we started, we wanted to think about service management differently. We knew that right now we, we kind of have, we create uh, service records for individual uh, uh, servers within our data center. We knew in the cloud people were going to be developing cloud native. And so maybe a server would only last a few seconds. Um, and so we didn't want to take the same approach that we had done with service management on-premise. We, but we wanted to create a foundation so that people were still doing service management best practices. We should still be doing change and incident management. And so we wanted to enable those things uh, by setting up a, a framework for them. And so we also wanted to make sure that there was roles and responsibilities. So there's a lot of people involved and a lot of shared responsibility that, we, that we're taking care of. And so Amazon has a responsibility for their infrastructure and their security. We have responsibility uh, for some of the network components and the connectivity back to the data center. And then the, the actual product teams have responsibility for their applications. And so we wanted to have clear, defined roles, responsibilities, and then have visibility for those teams so that people could identify where problems were and, and what their, uh, you, know, did, you know, do we have the right configuration items to report on that. And then, like I said, we had self-service. And so we have a service catalog that's, that's uh, within our service management team. And that catalog represents workflows for self-service. So again, we wanted to make sure we were enabling, enabling self-service. And those workflows really work as an integration. And so within Amazon, we want developers and product teams to use Amazon's APIs. Uh, but we, we obviously have some integrations. And one example is our, is our identity provider. When we create a new group or a role, those things have to happen at the same time because they're mapped when you federate. And so we needed a, 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 a catalog and a service that would do that and, and integrate with both, with both of those. And so we use our service catalog to do that. And an example is AD Group and IM provisioning. Financial management. Uh, the key to our financial management story is tagging. Uh, we take a very strict approach to tagging. We do audits, and we take remediation if people aren't tagging. And the reason we do this is so that we have within our bills, because we have multiple products within an account in a business unit, those tags are important so that each of those products can see their spend and their view of financial management. So we're, we're very diligent on tagging. And so from a financial management perspective, we want to provide tools and dashboards so that users have a common way of looking at spend. Um, and then they can see spend across at different levels of the hierarchy. So someone at a higher level within the business unit can see all of their spend, but people within a product can see their spend independently. But they're using the same tool, and one isn't saying, hey, I spent this much, and one's saying, no, well, I'm looking at this tool, and it says something different. So we have a common tool set for that. Then additionally, recommendations for cost optimization and, and, and modeling uh, our costs uh, we're centralized too, and so we have a kind of an approach to that, how we recommend services and how to utilize services uh, based on spend. And then we start setting budget forecasts and comparing those to what's actually being spent. Um, and then what I think is kind of cool is you can also look across products and actually compare those and possibly even you know promote some type of competitiveness to say, how much does each request cost across products, or how much does a user cost? Um, and so people could see that and actually maybe make it a bit competitive on how they're, they're approaching financial management. The final pillar I'm going to go through is uh, vendor management. Uh, 
what we wanted to do was make sure that we were negotiating and, and talking with our vendors in a common way, and, and this is another centralized um, function. And uh, the first thing we did is establish an enterprise support agreement across all of our accounts, and so they all had a common approach to um, what level of support they would get, um, how we open incidents, how we actually uh, work with our vendor, uh, Amazon, um, and make sure that we're, we're doing that in a common way. We also negotiated volume discounts. Uh, we didn't want every group having to maybe get different rates or, or that, so that was a common thing that we do as an enterprise. Um, and then another big thing, and this took a lot longer and was way more complicated than I thought it would ever be, but we had to look at our existing software licenses, um, and we have a lot of those, and actually see what that means for moving to the cloud. You know, are we compliant? How do we audit that? Um, and, and what stipulations do they have? And so we had to go back to a lot of our contracts and a lot of our vendors and see what did utilizing their software in the cloud actually mean. And we had to actually track that. And so if, if, if a vendor had a specific way of tracking their software in the cloud, we needed a way or we needed a program so that people knew and we could actually log when those licenses are being used and how much of a consumption that's going to be. And so that represents all of our pillars, and those are, the, those are the ways that we think about shared services. And what I'll say is, as we get into this and as we mature, we find more things that could be a shared services, things like CI/CD pipelines, um, gold images. You know, as we mature and we get more momentum, then more of those things can be centralized and we can take on more. But this is what we started with, and that's how we approach multi-account strategy. So hopefully that helped you. Uh, you don't have to be the same person that I was last time and go and ask all these questions. This is kind of uh, real world what we did. So thank you. Oh. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. No clapping yet. <laughs> so thank you for staying for the whole session. We appreciate that. I know it's almost 6.30. So we'll do a quick recap. So this is the overall architecture that we're proposing. Your billing, your centralized bills go there, your security account, your cloud trail, your config rules, your security login tools, shared services, things like your Active Directory, your DNS, sandbox, your experiments, non-prod, your staging and dev, and production, your production workloads. Again, hopefully you're promoting those from non-prod. I'll give you a second because I see people are taking pictures. By the way, these slides will be shared on SlideShare later with all this information will be available for you. So where do you go from here? Define your tagging strategy. Define an automation strategy. Create your billing, your security, your shared services, and at least your sandbox account. And once you've created those, at least you've got people that can go and play and learn within the sandbox account while you figure out some of the other things that you're trying to build out. We're not going to go through every single thing here, but one of the directors here told me that it's very hard to stand in front of a few hundred people and be silent for three seconds. I am going to do it for three times. So there's part of the action plan that you're going to do, so if you want to take a picture of it, go ahead. You're taking more than three seconds. The next one. Okay, and then the final slide for creating non-prod and creating prod. 
So we've tried to put something for you to start with. This is by no means comprehensive of everything that you have to do, but at least you've got a checklist that you can go through and potentially do. And again, when these slides are up and available, all of that will be in there. So again, thank you all for being here. Please do complete your evaluations. It's the only way we know if these sessions are helpful. And finally, these are some of the other sessions. SAC 320, that's happening tomorrow. We coordinated with those guys. So they'll be talking more of a deep dive of specific tools and approaches and things you can do, but they're following the same kind of a methodology. The organizations one has already happened, but these are some other sessions you might be interested in. So thank you, and thank you for being here at 6.30. We'll be here if you want to ask questions.